This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. It's long been a point of frustration for us and for our members that there were never any volumes in that baseline year for virtual visits. And we finally have the codes, which means we finally have the data. In addition, better capturing infusion services, breaking out non-chemo infusions for things like medications and different types of therapies. So really excited about all of those additions. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin, and today we get to do one of the most fun and popular episodes of the year, which is the release of our Impact of Change forecast. Now, the forecast has already been released on our website, and there is a very in-depth webinar that goes along with it. But today I have the two people who drive the creation, development, distribution, communication for the forecast, and that's Tori Ritchie and Carol Kapaski to talk through some of the biggest themes, things we learned along the way, and some of the new capabilities that the forecast will have. Tori and Carol, thank you so, so much for joining us. Your journey of the 2023 forecast is almost over. This is getting close to the end of the internal journey. Now you just get to talk about it with people for the rest of the year. Tori, I'll go to you first. Every year we're making small and large tweaks and updates to the forecast. What were a couple of the new cool different pieces we're adding to the forecast this year? Thanks, Trevor. So each year we continue to evaluate, number one, our approach and the methodology that's used to build the product, but also how are we defining diseases and procedures, you know, taking a look at the care grouper. And there's been quite a bit of work done here over the last year, especially as integration efforts continue with SG2 and Vizient care grouper methodologies. This year, a big area of focus for us was better aligning the cancer service line across both the SG2 and Vizient CDB grouper. We also added a number of other care families. Gender affirming care was a big one that we're very excited about. Intentional self-harm is another one that flags diagnosis codes, making sure that we're sizing the full scale of that patient population. A couple of procedural enhancements that we've carried over as well, really carving out some virtual procedures this year. It's long been a point of frustration for us and for our members that there were never any volumes in that baseline year for virtual visits. And we finally have the codes, which means we finally have the data. We have a couple of virtual specific procedures as well as in-person specific procedures that we captured this year. In addition, better capturing infusion services, breaking out non-chemo infusions for things like medications and different types of therapies. Really excited about all of those additions, but I know I'm missing a couple of things. Carol, what am I forgetting? One of the most exciting parts of the forecast is the innovation that we're able to introduce each year through these care grouper changes. So when we think about the power of the forecast, the ability to help our members make strategic decisions based on anticipated future growth, getting down into that nitty gritty, getting into those more deeply defined care families, as well as those procedures, just opens the door to a lot more thoughtful planning, a lot more thoughtful anticipation of demand, and also gives us some tools to really build out strong business cases for the different businesses that our members are going to be building over the next one, three, five, and 10 years. The care grouper, it's part of that secret sauce that makes the forecast so impactful. I love to hear all of the really innovative changes that we're able to introduce each year. 
Thanks for talking through some of the new pieces. I know as planning teams get their hand on it, they're always excited because Forecast is so connected to the work so many of our members do. Tori, give us a high-level story this year. What were some of the big aggregated takeaways from the forecast? Comparing this year's forecast versus last year at a high level, if you look at it from that 10,000 foot view, you'll notice the numbers really aren't that different. It's really when you look under the hood and you start teasing out specific stories where you can see the continued nuance here. Overall, inpatient discharges growing 2%, so relatively flat over the coming decade. This is about where the inpatient projections were last year. Because of that continued trend of rising patient acuity, we do expect length of stay to increase modestly, looking at a 6% increase in average length of stay. In that same vein, we see days increase 8%. The story here is Spoiler alert, nationally speaking, inpatient volumes are still very slightly below pre-pandemic levels. We do not expect them to return, but the patients that are coming into your hospital setting, they're more complex than ever before. They require longer lengths of stay. That's really what's bolstering those inpatient trends. And I would be remiss if I didn't chime in with some pediatric perspective here because shout out to all my children's hospital members. We do have some exciting changes coming down the pike that resonate with some of the trends that we're seeing on the inpatient side for adult, especially some of the capacity constraint, but it takes a little bit of a different flavor on the PED side. So this year, our children's hospital overall forecast for 10 years is going to be declining 1%. And a lot of that actually comes back to our population trend is quite different this year. We are expecting a contraction in our population impact factor this year, given the data that we received from Claritas. For non-children's hospital, about the same as last year as well, so minus 7% over the 10-year time frame. When we think about what are some of those big impacts on the inpatient side for pediatrics, something we're watching really closely is the approval of the RSV vaccine, which we are anticipating coming later this year. When we're thinking about some of those capacity constraints that folks are feeling right now, that will have a really big impact on inpatient demand, and we're expecting about a 20% decline in inpatient utilization in the first five years of the forecast as a result of that vaccine. So a lot of exciting things on the pediatric side, too. A lot of fun things to look at under the hood. I've heard you break down some of the underlying themes within the forecast into three different buckets, just procedures shifting the sites they're done at, all the things that digital are changing about where and how care is taking place, and then the shifts of care to home setting. Let's talk about each of those in isolation. Tori, talk a little bit about procedure shifts and how we're blending that into the forecast. We're seeing procedures shift across a variety of spaces. So it's not a single shift story that we're going to hit on. The first one that comes to mind is really that true shift from inpatient to outpatient. And this is something that we've been talking about for, for a number of years. Some of the procedures that immediately come to mind for everybody are those ortho and perhaps spine procedures where total joint replacement is rapidly leaving the inpatient setting and is moving outpatient. But we're seeing this transition with a number of procedures beyond just those ortho spine procedures. They things like bariatric surgery. We're starting to see some of those services shift inpatient to outpatient. We're starting to see prostatectomies, cervical spinal fusion, cholecystectomy. There really are a number of rich stories here that we're watching and the pace at which they're shifting to those lower acuity sites of care. The next shift is the outpatient shuffle. That's the movement across ambulatory surgical sites, perhaps from the hospital outpatient department to the ambulatory surgical center. And this is something that we're keeping a very close pulse on, especially in, in certain markets where they're rapidly shifting to those lower cost care settings due to payer pressure or due to private equity investment or what have you. 
predominantly outpatient orthopedics procedures, along with some of those spinal procedures as well, carpal tunnel release, for example, procedures like that, where we do see quite a bit of that volume is almost entirely outpatient, but where that care is taking place may be shifting. The other shift then that we have is really that outpatient shuffles. That's the movement of procedural volumes across those ambulatory care sites. Think hospital outpatient department to ambulatory surgical center, for example. And what we're seeing make this shift are some of the low acuity GI procedures, as well as orthopedic procedures, spinal procedures, things like carpal tunnel release or hammer toe procedures and the like. Quite a bit of movement here that we're also watching, although it is still rather market dependent on what's actually making those shifts. Another one that we're watching really closely is some of that almost replacement of surgical or endoscopic approach to a more medical or at-home based approach. Classic example here is colonoscopy. That shift to the at-home Cologuard-like testing is one we're anticipating having a big impact. We can only expect more of that shift, more exacerbation of that trend, especially as we look at things like United Healthcare introducing preauthorization for certain colonoscopy procedures. Will that just continue to facilitate declines and shifts in those procedures to alternative sites or even to options that are not surgical or not endoscopic? Carol, that jogs my memory on another big forecast story for this year as we think about medical management, and that is bariatric surgery. With the advent of anti-obesity medications that have have come on the market in the last year or so, this has really upended the bariatric surgery forecast. I don't know, Trevor, if you remember what our bariatric surgery forecast looked like a couple of years back. We were talking strong double-digit growth in predominantly the inpatient setting. I think we were above 30% growth over the next 10-year timeframe. Now our bariatric surgery forecast for both inpatient and outpatient combined is negative 4%. Because what we think is going to happen is utilization of these anti-obesity medications, it's reducing or altogether eliminating the need for surgical intervention for this patient cohort. This is a great example of how pharmaceutical innovation is truly transforming the way that care pathways are operating and the way that care is being performed. This is another interesting one where there's a pediatric perspective as well. As we think about the new AAP guidelines for obesity management for pediatric patients, we are seeing more intensive focus on actively treating obesity in pediatric patients. And we expect that to have follow-on effects also for the adult population. So if we're managing much more stringently obesity in our children's population, will we be preventing obesity ultimately down the road in the adult population? There's some really interesting connection points between our pediatric forecast and our adult forecast in this case. I would love to call out and encourage you all to check out our our upcoming post on obesity trends in both the adult and pediatric space. We've got some really great insights from our pediatric and adult experts on that topic. Let's talk digital now. We have gotten so much new, both anecdotal and more precise data around what's happening virtually in the last couple of years. We always had an aggressive forecast in terms of how much could shift to virtual? What's the highest level virtual story? And then what are a couple of places where we've already seen or we're anticipating big shifts? Overall, we expect 28% of E&M visits to occur virtually by 2033. That's pretty close in line to where we've been over the last couple of years. I think the difference here, though, is the level of specificity that we have available to us in our procedures now. We're able to actively forecast for in-person versus virtual procedures. We're also able to differentiate between new patient visits and established patient visits. Because of the current reimbursement landscape, 
for virtual health services. We see greater opportunity in creating that virtual shift for those established patient visits. The reimbursement pathway here is much more favorable. These are really the patient populations that are more likely going to move out of that brick and mortar setting. Meanwhile, new patient visits that you are required to go in person for that initial encounter with a new provider in order to be reimbursed for that service. So we actually are projecting in-person growth for those new patient visits, which is a great new way to just drive further specificity with our forecast this year. Some additional points there on the digital landscape is we also have, in addition to being able to forecast directly the visits that are virtual versus in-person, we also have the ability to capture virtual volumes for psychotherapy and remote patient monitoring. So we have also are expanding the scope of what can be forecasted virtually within the forecast, which is a, a really exciting change, especially for our behavioral health folks, being able to actually capture the trends that we're seeing in psychotherapy being conducted virtually. As far as specifically what specialties are most likely to make that shift, it's behavioral health far and away continues to be the leader of the pack here. We don't expect that to change. We also expect chronic care populations or the medical patient population to be better candidates for care management in a virtual manner versus going into that brick and mortar facility. You're likely still going to want to go see the person who just recently performed a total joint replacement on you in person. That's probably not an interaction that you want to have over Zoom or some other mode. You can't overstate how much each little incremental improvement we make in visibility and specificity into digital procedures like really enhances the view within the forecast. It's exciting. All right, last area, care at home, a place we're doing tons of work, a place we're doing a whole integrated performance solution with visiting it for a big chunk of our members right now. It's an area that every time I'm talking to members, they want to talk about a couple of big pieces from the forecast. Strong growth ahead in the home side of care. We're looking at 20% growth over the coming 10 years. A large part of that is in an effort to open up capacity in your inpatient and post-acute care settings, really getting folks out of those more acute, higher cost care settings and shifting them home sooner. There are also a number of workforce challenges that are facing those post-acute sites of care as well. Part of it's not even a capacity game. It's rather there just isn't the staff to meet the demand. And so being able to stand up a thoughtful, well-rounded suite of of services in the home in order to be able to meet that patient demand is going to be critical. And just to plug in here, certainly another factor contributing, especially to our skilled nursing facility forecast decline, is also the role of COVID. We're excited this year. We do have the ability to look at COVID volumes, both in the inpatient and outpatient space. And when we look at facilities like skilled nursing facilities, we do see that COVID in the baseline still comprises a pretty large percentage of those volumes. As we see more improvements in vaccine compliance, as we see more availability of antibody treatments and other treatments for these patients, we we also expect that to contribute to declines in the short term for those facilities. That's really good. All three of those together are like helpful overview. I can see all the new pieces. Tell me how you think this is going to change our members' ability to use this forecast in short-term and long-term planning. We recognize that our members are facing a number of headwinds and different pressures. There is this general rise in patient acuity, which is driving increasing demand. There are workforce challenges, there are capacity challenges. Coming out of the pandemic where everybody's balance sheets took a hit, folks are looking for opportunities to grow and drive revenue where possible. This is where we think that the forecast is such an important tool to help them understand, here are the patients that are coming into our facilities today. Here's how that demand is going to change over the future. Future and let's then carve out some opportunities for care redesign. Let's think about ways that we could perhaps optimize the service mix and suite of services that we're providing to our patient population. And so 
really want to encourage our members, don't be shy. Please reach out. We are always happy to have these conversations with you, help you think through the most thoughtful approach to really reimagining the way that you're providing care to your patients. Something I know we're also extremely excited about coming soon to our market forecasts will also be an enhancement to help with some of that care redesign, as well as programmatic development, especially for your population that has high social needs. We're incorporating an enhancement this year into our inpatient and ED forecast for both adult and pediatrics, where we'll be trying to capture the use rate differences that we see when we dig into the data. We do see pretty substantial use rate differences for many common chronic conditions for patients that are coming from communities that have higher social drivers of health, as opposed to those who may be coming from better resourced communities. That's another enhancement that we see an opportunity for our members with market forecasts to be able to do some scenario planning and maybe even some business case development for their health equity initiatives coming down the road. Thanks so much for giving the members a quick overview. There's so many other resources to get more details or to look and play around in the national forecasts now online. Tori and Carol, thank you so, so much for sharing and building the forecast. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2 Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.